Welcome back to the Autoblog Podcast. I'm Greg Migliori. We've got a great show for you this week. The Ram Charger's back. Uh, there's a lot to go on there. Uh, the Hemi is on its way out for Ram trucks. We're going to talk about the final Audi TT. Uh, should right turns on red be banned? Uh, we're going to talk about that too. We're also going to get into the state of the Cybertruck and what we've been driving in our long-term fleets, as in our personal long-term fleets. That includes a 93 Suburban, a Tesla Model 3, and a 73 Chevelle. Wow, that's quite the lead-in. Close things. That is quite. That's a lot. That's a lot. So let's just bring in the senior editor for all things consumer, Jeremy Korsniewski. How are you, man? I'm doing great. How are you doing? You're representing the first place Detroit Lions there with that hat. That's good to see. I know. Growing up in Toledo, I've been a Lions fan for a really long time. My faith in the organization is, or faith is the wrong word. My adherence to the organization is probably yeah. uh, just just now paying off. I'll tell you, when I lived out in Seattle, um, I went to um, I went to the Lions Seattle. Uh, a playoff game Ooh, um yeah wow. and and man i was wearing this hat um i bought this hat actually which man what it's been like 2015 16 17 i don't remember exactly but yeah. that's that's when i bought this hat i was getting heckled hardcore walking into yeah. walking into the stadium but by halftime when it was very clear that seattle was going to dominate the game People were like coming up, you know, like patting me on the back and, you know, buying me beers and saying, yeah, better luck oh, next wow. year. Yeah, the, the, the mood really changed after, uh, after the game started being played. And it was like, yeah, this is, we know how this is going to end. So, yeah, this was to show you how long ago this was. The quarterbacks for the two teams were Matthew Stafford for the Lions and Russell Wilson for the Seahawks. That is exactly uh, right. Yeah, no, that's Seattle's a tough place to play. Uh, but here, like you said, the fans are actually pretty amenable when it's not like a rivalry situation, you know. Yeah, yeah. I give you credit. Lions, I mean, I've lived in Michigan all my life, so it's like, hey, the Lions are my team. But if I moved to Seattle, I wouldn't switch teams, if you will, but I would mm -hmm. probably start to follow the Seahawks a little bit because they've been great for yeah. a long time. I, You know, I would when I lived in Seattle, I'd root for the home team. Um, I yeah. still, you know, they living there for a while, it's got a, a I've got a little bit of soft spot before that I lived in, um, Arizona. Um, okay. I got, <clears throat> I've never really developed that soft spot for the Cardinals. Nor should you. <laughs> um, but yeah, Seattle, they were like, you'd have to live in, in Seattle to know just how big the Seahawks are in Seattle, especially when you get into the downtown area. Um, it's kind of hard not to get wrapped up in it. Kind of like, you know, living in Ann Arbor and not having any, at least a passing interest in the, uh, Wolverines are living here in Columbus where I do and, and, you know, not, not hearing the, uh, constant OHIOs of the, uh, Ohio state fans. So yeah. Anywho. All right. So that's today in football. Uh, let's <laughs> jump into some cars here. Uh, let's see. So the Ram charger, this is sort of the big story of the week. Uh, there's a couple different things going on here. There's the Ram charger and then, uh, Stellantis Ram also announced that the hurricane I six will be uh, replacing the heavy V8 in mm -hmm. all of the Ram trucks. So remember that tagline, that thing got a heavy, that commercial? Um, right now it won't, or nope. no, you know, in the future it won't. Nope, so, absolutely. Are they going to have that thing got a hurricane? That Wouldn't that be the greatest commercial right it there? Would be. If they brought those guys back mm -hmm. and then they're like, that thing got a hurricane. And maybe the you 
I guess you probably can't have like a hurricane in the background of the ad. That wouldn't be good for a variety of reasons. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is Dodge we're talking about. They they kind of yeah can get away with uh, with things that other brands might not. I don't know. So that yeah, I mean, it's a little weird to see the heavy go away, and I it's an old school engine. When you drive it, especially like a Ram, I I mean, I, to me, it's so red meat and potatoes. It's mm-hmm. just like that the feel, the rumble. Uh, but I mean, I think I have not, right. I, I just, I think the hurricane I six is going to be a, a good replacement though. So I think that's progress for now. Um, yeah. I, you know, the, the, the Hemi that I'm going to miss is the 6.4, the, the 392 Hemi. One. Yeah. Yeah. That, now that, that engine, um, you can get it in muscle cars, like the challenger, you can get it, you know, in the charger. Um, but, uh, it really serves particularly well, I think, in Ram's heavy-duty pickup trucks. The 6.4, I think it's it's over 400 horsepower. What is it, 410, something like that? But mm-hmm. it's just like it's it's the quintessential American V8 truck engine to me. You know that that's going to be. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be sad to see that 6.4 naturally ad, aspirated uh, Hemi V8 uh, go out of production. Um, and I haven't really spent much solid seat time in a Hurricane I six powered car. Mm-hmm. They're they're in Jeeps right now. Yeah. Um, like I've I've been around them. I I love the um, natural balance of an inline six. It's one of the best engine formats. Um, it, you know, and, and all these engines also they're forced induction engines too. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. You know, I've, Ford's been doing. Um, it's EcoBoost as its top top rung engines for a while now. Um, GM has turbocharged four cylinders. This is going to be the first set of turbocharged engines, uh, not diesel, um, in the Ram. We'll see how we'll see how people react to that. Yeah, I I've driven the Hurricane in the Jeeps in a very limited fashion, mm-hmm. um, so I'm cautiously optimistic. Yep. You know that you know, this could be a good, good replacement, but part of me also thinks devil's advocate, like, couldn't you find a way like in not just to single out the Hemi, but for a lot of manufacturers to say, Hey, we're going to make X number of V8s this year. And it's going to be a small number and it's not going to really be enough to mess with your, like, uh, you know, say cafe regulations or something It do it that way for the people that might still want one. They're there for you. And then if you want to do a Ram charger, which we should probably jump into, you can do that too. But I, I kind of think, um, I mean, a lot of it too is these V8s are really old. Like mm-hmm. not just the Hemi, but like General Motors at Ford, like these are old V8 engines. Mm-hmm. So some of it means they're borderline on obsolescence and they don't want to use the money in the capital to redevelop a new one, which makes sense. But um, I don't yeah, know. you know. Here's here's a good segue into Ram Charger, Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm taking your hosting duties away from you. I apologize. Please for that. do it. <laughs> so one of the classic uh, ways that full size truck buyers rate their trucks and look at class superiority. Um, one of the big ones is tow rating. Yeah. Um, the tow rating on the new Hurricane inline six Ram is going to be lower than the outgoing. Uh, Hemi V8 Ram. So I've got the the specs pulled up here. Um, give you just a minute. So 
2025 Ram 1500 with the high output hurricane engine is going to be 11,580 pounds towing capacity. Towing capacity. Um, if you want to know the, the payload, that's going to be 2,300 pounds. So that is less than the outgoing 24 Ram with its gas Hemi V8. That is 12,750 and the 2625 payload capacity. So on the hierarchy scale of where the new truck is going to fall on the old truck, uh, or compared to the old truck, it's actually down a little bit. Are people going to react poorly to that? Well, here's the, here's the segue I promised was coming. The uh, plug-in hybrid, well, I mean, Ram's calling it an electric car, but, you know, we can call it a, we can, you know, make the, the case that it's, there's a difference between a serial hybrid and a parallel hybrid, but, you know, instead mm -hmm. of, instead of going down that road, let's just, you know, let's just go with them and call it a range extended electric pickup truck. Um, that's going to have a tow rating of 14,000 pounds. So significantly higher than both the Hurricane inline six in 2025 and uh, still much higher than the 12,750 um, of the uh, outgoing Hemi. So it's going to be the range topping tow machine with a class five hitch starting in, you know, once, once this switchover uh, takes place. I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah. It reminds me a little bit of when the Volt first launched, mm -hmm. they really split hairs between like, you know, to your point, what a series hybrid was, what a parallel hybrid was. Mm -hmm. And then the concept Volt was actually much more of a true like sort of EV. Yeah. And then by the time the production Volt arrived, it was just a very, you know, well-executed plug-in hybrid. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there was, you know, at the time people were in, frankly, journalists, consumers at the time were a little, not as, you know, aware yeah. of how all of these different things worked. Right. So there was some consternation there, but that, that's not the case here. Um, no, yeah, the, the engine, um, which interestingly, it's a 3.6 liter Pentastar, not yeah. a not a three liter inline six. Which mm -hmm. I, I, that tells me that the uh, Pentastar is going to remain in production for a while. They wouldn't keep the production lines yeah. running just for the Ram Charger. Um, so just you know, kind of kind of a little interesting detail there. I, I think it would have been cool if it would have had some sort of version of the uh, um, the three liter Hurricane. Um, you know, mm -hmm. get rid of all the. Uh, um, forced induction because it's not going to be necessary to run the engine as a generator. But anyway, it's a 3.6 liter Pentastar um, running as a generator. There will be no way for that uh, combustion engine to power the wheels. The wheels are powered solely 100% with electric motors, which makes this an extended range electric vehicle, not a yeah. hybrid. And that's the important distinction there too. Yeah. There, there's no way for the engine to power the wheels. That means it's yeah. not a hybrid. It is an electric vehicle, but the caveat there is it's an electrical, electric vehicle that's carrying around a big old heavy gasoline engine generator all yep. the time, even yeah. when it's not necessary. So it's a little bit of a stopgap. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it too. But also it's the answer to all the people that are you know throwing their arms up, not wanting electric trucks because the range gets cut in half when towing. And the thing is, the range gets cut in half of, you know, every vehicle, basically, when you're towing. It's not like a gasoline pickup truck doesn't lose range when it's got 10,000 pounds behind it. 
the same thing happens with those. The difference is it's a lot easier to find gas stations and fill up in, you know, 15, 20 minutes than it is to find, you know, a high, high output DC fast charger. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's the issue. This is, you know, it's a stopgap, not so much in terms of technology because the EV tech is there. It's a stopgap more in terms of there's not enough charging infrastructure to make towing with electricity a palatable option for the majority of buyers. So I think it's a good move. Yeah. You know? Did they say anything about quick charging? I was going through the materials. I would assume with the, you know, the main RAM all electric, it's quick charging. So I'd assume this is, maybe I shouldn't assume that. I can't imagine that it wouldn't be. Right? Um, I, I don't know that. I don't know that they've said, I'm looking through our story. I don't see mm -hmm. specifications on, yeah. on the charging speeds. I can't imagine that they would make it like lower than, than they, why wouldn't they, why wouldn't they share the charging infrastructure? Right, right. You know, I don't know if this is going to be a 400 volt electric vehicle. If it's an 800 volt electric vehicle, I don't, I don't think all that information has been disseminated quite yet. Yeah, exactly. I, I think this is a good move. It's pretty unique in the marketplace right now. It's going to be interesting to see how, uh, like electric vehicle buyers and Ram buyers sort of receive it. Uh, I think it's it's creative. It's a very interesting approach to trying to, you know, continue to like that electric journey, the transition, if you will. And actually, weird coincidence, I saw an old Ram Charger this morning. Oh, really? It was, yeah, it was just parked, uh, you know, neighborhood over and uh, looked a little battered. It was kind of red and like that goldish brown patina yeah. with those old wheels on it. Look good though. I've long advocated. I said this on the podcast like a year ago. Ram should bring back like a Ram charger. I yeah. know Stellantis has the Wrangler and you never want to like try to compete with that. But why not? You know? I agree. You know, it I will also say that the Ram Charger name is absolutely perfect for this truck. It is, yeah. It's a Ram. It's a charger in that right. it's got an engine yeah. that charges. Like I mean, how how perfect is that? I mean, it's pitch perfect. Mm -hmm. But yes, I agree with you. Um, there's there's just so many great reasons why there should be a you know kind of off road oriented SUV from Stellantis. Um, yeah, the Ram Charger would have been a great name for it, but. Um, you know, I've long been advocating um, a GMC Jimmy as well. Yes. Um, you know, it, it's the market has clearly spoken. U.S. consumers mm -hmm. want kind of throwback yeah. off-road SUV vehicles. So, you know, I don't know why the I don't know why the car companies aren't giving them what they want. I agree. I think a Jimmy would be a great move. I really do. And I mean, you could argue against it for Stellantis what's GM's problem, right? You yeah. know, like, what do they have? Whereas, you know, like, there's no real competitive setup there. The Hummer, to me, is something entirely different than what we're discussing. Yeah. So, Anywho. All right. Let's talk about the final Audi TT. Um, it's a special edition. It's cool. Our headline is that it's a retirement edition for the U.S., which is kind of cool. Uh you know, for me, I just, I remember, um, 
how special the TT felt, especially mm-hmm. like in my earlier years in this business, driving them in the press fleet. They were a lot of fun. I remember, uh, you know, Audis used them like it predates the R8. So this was like their sports car for a while. Uh, I think it was a smart move for the company to have mm-hmm. like this type of sports car. Um, and they've used it to debut some technology, like that virtual cockpit back in, like, I think it was 13, uh, 2013. Uh, they showed it in uh, like a Quattro concept because every mm-hmm. Audi concept is called the Quattro, but that it showed up uh, in one of the first, if not the first production vehicles of the TT. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's, you know, people are not going to look back at the Audi TT and mourn its, you know, impending, impending loss like they are yeah. going to, you know, names like Camaro um, that are yeah. also going away, you know, like, but it's still, you know, those of us of a certain age, Greg and I included, yeah. um, remember the first generation Audi TT probably yeah. quite fondly. Like nothing mm-hmm. looked like that, right? It was absolutely a design design icon of the 1990s and, and oh, 2000s. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's it's a little bit bittersweet to see it go. I get that you know, it was, it was a smash hit, smash success, um, and kind of like set Audi's styling tone for, um, for like a good solid decade. Um, and then they came out with the second gen and, you know, it, it lost a little bit of its first gen charm in the process of becoming a better car. Cause let's, let's, let's call a spade a spade. The first gen Audi TT was basically a, a Volkswagen Golf GTI in prettier clothing. Yeah. Um, but it looked beautiful, you know, it was, it was desirable as a fashion statement, as a fashion accessory, so to speak. Um, and you know, there's still enough of them around if you pull up, um, you know, bring a trailer cars and bids. Um, I think we'll still be seeing first gen Audi TTs as kind of, you know, future collectible classic vehicles. Um, I do like what Audi did on this last generation or this final uh, commemorative model. They went back to the first gen Goodwood green color uh, with a Palomino light brown. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful color. Um, One of the classic shades of the first gen Audi TT. So, you know, they're they're It's a little bit of a throwback design, um, at least color palette. Uh, So sad to see it go. Um, Not, you know, not surprised to see it go. Uh, but you know, the current Audi TT is, is not exactly the same vehicles that first gen was anyway. So, you know, this is kind of a, it is what it is kind of scenario. Sorry to see it go. Um, but it had a great run. Yeah. I mean, selling numbers aren't nothing special and it's, you know, I don't, I think if Audi wants to play in the space, and because obviously the R8 is on the way out. Joel Stocksdale did a final drive for that at Laguna Seca. What a great trip, right? Go to Pebble mm-hmm. Beach and drive the, the R8 at Laguna Seca. Yeah, that's pretty great. Um, I think they need to kind of holistically rethink what their sports car like strategy is going to be. Um, and I think that's what they're doing. Yeah. And a, a clean slate is a great place to start. Yeah. So, you, you mentioned everything is Quattro branded everything also is e-tron branded so mm-hmm. you know the, i i find it hard to believe that a vehicle in the tt's mold is not going to yeah. show up powered by you know 
electricity as opposed to gasoline. Um, so, you know, it might not be called a TT. It might be called something else. Hey, maybe it'll be the e-tron TT or something. Who knows? Um, but yeah, I think it's not the last of the kind of mainstream attainable sports car that we're going to see from Audi. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Yeah. One of those 80s inspired Quattros with all wheel drive, maybe kind of blocky styling, electric powered. That sounds like a fun sport, you know. I, you could almost call it a crossover, a sporting type thing to fill out their lineup. I'd sign me up for that. I mean, I think you need to fire up an email to Audi's product planners, Greg. Like some, I'll just tweet them. Yeah, we'll get on tweet. We'll, you know, we'll LinkedIn them, X them, all that good here, stuff. Here you are so, doing their jobs for them. There we go. All right. So, banning right turns on red. Uh, this is uh, being considered. Uh, Across the country, frankly, mm -hmm. uh, cities mm -hmm. are looking at it. Um, it's something that, you know, is somewhat of uniquely American problem at this point because it's not really allowed in other in many other countries. It, obviously, it's you know local laws may vary, mm -hmm. but um, it's something we're seeing more widespread consideration and adoption uh, here in the United States. Um, I tend to think at the municipal level is probably the way to do it even though it isn't great for motorists because you don't necessarily know like what the laws are, maybe if you travel a lot, mm -hmm. but because every city's different, you know, and I think every like area is different, you know, can you probably make a right turn in like, you know, far flung suburb? Sure. But if you're in like, you know, a core downtown area where there's a lot of foot traffic, that's a mm -hmm. much different story. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps it's safer to wait for the light. I don't know. And I think, you know, the way I kind of look at this is like, I think visibility in vehicles is uh, different and worse than I think it's been because cars are big, they're wide, many of them are high up and the A pillars are often so stocky mm -hmm. that you can't see around things. We'll get to this in a minute, but I drove the Prius Prime last week, mm -hmm. liked so much of it. But there were moments when I would make like a turn and I knew where I was going, but mm -hmm. I would just be like, hmm, what's going to disappear into the A-pillar right now? Right. You know, you know, it's there. And it's, that's not unique to the Prius. I think it was exacerbated because it's a pretty small car. And it's it got has a very these... uh, steeply raked windshield. Oh man, this, they're like stanchions. Mm -hmm. So it was like an obstructed view at Tiger Stadium. To use <laughs> another reference here, baseball. Um so I don't know. I, I think there's some room for this to take place. What do you think? It already happened in Washington, D.C. Yeah. Um, yeah. Last year, the uh, representatives got together and banned them outright. Um, yeah. It's there. There's some states where they're it, usually like the way that it usually works. If there's no sign, then then you can turn right on red. Yeah. Um, but how many times, in fact, our story that ran um, on November 5th on this, uh, it was um, covering the right turn on red bands and the discussion about it. Um, there's a picture of a vehicle turning right on a red and there's a clear sign that says no turn on red. Mm -hmm. um, how many times do you go like the city that the small kind of urban part of the suburb, Columbus suburb I live in? has signs up at um, a ton of different intersections that say um, right, no, no right turn on red during blah, 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 blah. And it's all, it's school hours. So 
basically that tells me, and I've seen that a lot. I've seen that all over the place. It's not just my little area that I live in. Um, that's because it is slightly more dangerous and areas where right turn on red is allowed. The, there is a measurable uptick in pedestrian uh, deaths. Um, people riding bikes and people walking um, to school or, or what have you. Um, the little town I live in has a college in it. It's got several elementary schools, et cetera, et cetera. Kids walk to school. Um, and so, so they ban it during school, school hours. Um, if, you know, the next step in doing that, if there's a measurable uh, effect on pedestrian safety, especially when we're talking about kids, the next step would be to ban it outright. So I, I understand where they're going um, with that. Anything to save lives, I think, is a step in the right, right direction. I don't think anyone wants to be the person who, you know, you can stand on your, on your podium and, and declare that you don't want them to ban right on red for numerous reasons because you don't like traffic, you don't like it inconveniencing you. But as soon as you're the one who hits somebody and it's your fault, you know, you can't really stand on that soapbox, I don't think. Um, so anyway, I think what's probably going to end up happening is large cities will take this up. It'll, you know, other cities like Chicago and San Francisco are considering it. New York has, is mostly no right turn on red already, but there's signs everywhere. If they just ban it outright entirely, that makes a lot more sense to me than doing it piecemeal. However, there's no need to ban right turn on reds in non-urban areas, I think. Um, you know, you get outside of um, major, uh, major population density centers and there's still, you know, there's still highways, there's still side streets that have red lights, um, you know, traffic signals. There's no need to ban this as a country, I don't think. Banning right. it, banning it from city centers, I, I see that probably likely to increase. All right, sounds good. So let's move along to a uh, couple of earning reports here. Lucid didn't do so, didn't do so well. Rivian did pretty well. These are the third quarter earnings that are, uh, you know, this, it's that time of year, if you will, that um, you know we start to get you know the different different companies, all walks of industry, reporting them. Um, rather than dive too deeply into the financials, I think it's just an interesting snapshot of where each company is. Um, you know, I think you're always wondering, uh, especially with these, I wouldn't totally call either of these startups at this point, but they're like newer automakers uh, that are electric based. You know, you start to think who's going to be the next Tesla. I, it's such a cliche to say that. Who's going to be maybe the next like Lordstown Motors, you know, somebody who just doesn't quite launch, you know, or like the original Fisker. So uh, I think with all of these companies, uh, especially these two, uh, because they have such high profile products, you know, we're in a space where it's like they're still under the microscope. And right now it seems like Rivian is in a little bit of a better place. And I would attribute that to their product portfolio for starters. Uh, I think having a truck, kind of like a lifestyle truck with some interesting features, like an outdoorsy vibe, uh, the same thing with the the SUV, the R1S, it feels like they're kind of at the market, you know, meeting the market where consumers want to be. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll see how this plays out, though. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, 
I'll not get on a I'll not get on a big soapbox here, but I'll just give a little bit of you know a little bit of commentary here. Um, so there's been a lot of headlines lately about you know EV sales tanking about um, you know you read the comments on our site and every time there's anything slightly negative on electric vehicles, you're going to see a whole bunch of people saying, see, I told you so nobody wants them. They're trying to push these things down our throats. That's not actually what's happening when you're, when you're looking at the real numbers. Um, it, it's a, it's a manufacturer by manufacturer issue. Um, so Mercedes boss went out and, um, it said like, Oh, we're having a, they, he called the, the EV market brutal and said that they're having a little bit of a hard time selling their high-end EVs. Well, I looked up the numbers. It They're selling about 15% of their total volume in electric vehicles, which is up 1.8% from, um, from the previous quarter and up dramatically um, from the previous year. Over at BMW, they're singing a different tune and they're they're like, oh, our EV sales are going great. We're super excited about it. Everything's, you know, we're happy. It's the same 15% of their of their market the issue is that mercedes is having to add some discounts and and they're losing profit margin on their evs not it's not that they can't sell them it's that they're not as profitable um, as a company and dealerships are complaining because a lot of mercedes evs are very expensive um, and a lot of the luxury class buyers are just opting to stick with a regular old s-class instead it's, you know, it's, that's kind of like the, the caveat of having the world's most recognizable, um, gasoline powered electric, uh, gasoline powered luxury nameplate, the S class. Like it is the, it's the standard that's not, you're not going to lose those buyers immediately. And there is an EQS, but it doesn't have the cachet yet that the, that the gas S class does. BMW is not having to discount their cars very much for their electric vehicles very much because they do have things like the i7 that is built alongside the um, the gasoline 7 series but they've also got things like the i4 that are selling really well because it's it's the product that people want so you know i think what and, and the same thing with with lucid rivian lucid had a bad quarter rivian had a great quarter lucid had to adjust their uh, production plans down rivian just adjusted theirs up it's a it's a manufacturer by manufacturer thing and a lot of it is being driven by tesla um which is you know putting a lot of pricing pressure on its competitors by lowering their prices because they have the highest profit margin you know tesla had more profit margin to um to restrict and still make some sort of profit than the other car companies did so we're just you know i it, the market is just settling. The market is stabilizing. The market's going to continue going up. You know, the car companies are still going to continue selling more electric vehicles than they have in the past. Um, it's it's not just like, oh, my God, the sky is falling. No one wants electric cars. That's not the issue. Car companies are just figuring out how to price them, how to sell them, and how to offer the product that people want. So, you know, give it give it a little time. This is all still very early. Yeah. All right. So while we're on the subject of EVs, uh, let's kind of close out our news section with the state of the Cybertruck. I've been kind of wanting to talk about the Cybertruck for a little while here. Um, their, you know, Tesla earnings a, a week or so ago 
uh, the Cybertruck was, you know, much uh, the subject of much interest. And we didn't really get much out of Elon on that call. They did announce that they were going to do a deal with uh, uh, some sort of, I think it's a Scandinavian supplier for the stainless steel panels. That came out a little bit before that. Uh, and since that time, we've seen video of it sort of struggling, appearing to struggle off-road, as well as... Um, uh, sort of a, a colleague of ours, Daniel Golson, uh, saw it at a Cars and Coffee in Malibu uh, with this kind of like matte wrap on it. Mm -hmm. And the internet just kind of lost its mind it, it over really both of those matters. Yeah. But so I kind of like, I think, you know, first of all, a truck that's different, that's electric wedge-shaped design, that sounds pretty good to me. Mm -hmm. But it seems like they're really struggling with uh, getting it launched with mm -hmm. getting some of these fancy details that they've, you know, they've put them in themselves. Nobody said they had to do it this way, mm -hmm. um, which I think, hey, you know, you're trying to go up against the Detroit three and trucks. You that you know, you better not miss. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think this is truly going to be that type of a competitor exactly like the way Nissan and Toyota sort of tried and failed. Um, so all that's just to say, I, you know, I what's up with the Cybertruck? I mean, mm -hmm. even Elon Musk, like he's been quoted as saying, we really put ourselves through the ringer on this mm -hmm. one and maybe we didn't have to, uh, yeah. to uh, paraphrasing. So, I mean, what do you think? Well, first of all, did you look at the pictures on Twitter of the, uh, yeah. the wrapped truck? Oh my gosh. Like to say that it was poorly assembled is, I mean, that's, that's doing a disservice to the term poorly assembled. Like right. it, it looked like a kit car project in someone's garage that they, you know, they, they shouldn't be putting together kit cars. Yep. Um, just absolutely terrible. The wrap was terrible too. Like the, the shot, the wrap made it look worse. Oh, it was, it was so bad. Like the, the worst parts to me were, so it's got these flat stainless steel sides and it's got these big kind of like fender flares that are affixed to the side. The fender flares and the the flat body side didn't line up. Like there's big, huge gaps. Is that the fender flare that is way off? Is that the body side? Like, does it have, is it like, you know, I, I, is it stamped poorly? I don't, I don't know, but it was alarming to say the least and then the yeah. back like where the tailgate came up you could see there's supposed to be a, a a straight across horizontal line for the taillight and oh my gosh it was i mean this is not a case of misaligned like this is a case of was the thing hit like what what happened here yeah. um and the fact that that it was Fran franz von holhoff I, I don't know how you say his name yeah it, he's the the head designer at tesla and he's the one who drove it to the event yeah like was how does that happen <laughs> you know how does an executive right. at the company look at the truck and say yeah i'll show this to people oh it's so bad and and before people like you know if if, if you've got a reservation for one or you know if, if you're like a tesla elon musk fan please know that i own a tesla I, I bought a brand new Model 3 this year. I'm not a Tesla basher. You know, I have no love for Elon Musk specifically, but that, you know, Tesla as, as a company, I don't have any qualms with them. You know, it's not like I would tell people like, oh, you should never buy a Tesla. I bought one. Um, I'm not, 
I'm not saying these things coming from a, oh, gotcha, gotcha, Elon, gotcha, Tesla. I knew you couldn't do this. I'm not coming at it like that. I'm saying, boy, does this thing look terrible and so close to when they're saying it's supposed to be in customer hands. Like, if that's a car that came off the line in pre-production, like, do you, do you have any idea how much hand massaging that car would would require to look at least even halfway reasonable to hand off to a customer is the so the question is is that representative of what's actually coming down their pre-production line was this a hand hand built prototype that was just like true. you know thrown together after throwing back several beers or like you know on a friday as everybody's trying to get out and if that's the case why would you drive it to an event and actually let people look at it like it's unfathomable yeah. to me like could you imagine if ford brought a lightning out like shortly before um, putting them in customer hands and they brought one and it looked this bad. Can you imagine the, the like people going like, Oh my goodness, this thing is going to be a turd. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to think anything else after looking and seeing how bad it was. Yeah. It's interesting. I think um, I've interviewed Franz von Holzhausen. He was, a uh, long-time designer for Mazda. Yeah. You know, I mm-hmm. think he knows what he's doing. Absolutely. You know, he was he was part of those, that sort of uh, like new guard of, you know, sort of established executives that went to like Tesla, Fisker, and some of the other companies, uh, you know, almost a decade ago. And to his credit, he stuck around there. Um, not many people are long-term Tesla employees, mm-hmm. especially in such a high-level job like that. Um, so I don't know. I can't speak to him. Maybe it was just a Saturday morning and he needed to get out of the house and he wanted some coffee. I don't know. Uh, maybe it wasn't more than that. It's hard to say. Um, but I mean, just like broader strokes, like I, I'm starting to feel like the Cybertruck is they need to get it out because I think when they get it out, as long as they can somehow get these build quality issues ironed out, people are going to love it. The Tesla like fan base is going to love it. I think people like myself who are trying to be objective, I think it's cool. Like I said, wedge-shaped design, it's a different take. Let's go. But you're, they're also trending, I think, very close into almost becoming like, you know, Aztec territory. Yeah. You it's know, kind this of a thing's going to be a punchline. Right? Yes. Yeah. Same. Exactly. Yeah. Same. So I was thinking the same word. The, touching real briefly on the um, the off-roading, you mentioned that in, in the run-up to this, and we're focusing you know, so much on how bad the thing looks. Yeah. Um, and not, I'm not talking about the overall design. I don't love yeah. the design. I actually, did I tell you I saw one in, in the real world driving down the streets of Columbus? You did, yeah. Yeah, and there's, I don't know exactly what they're doing here, but I pulled up on Twitter um, and I, I just, I typed in Cybertruck Columbus and there's been dozens of sightings. So it's not like wow. there's only one of them here. They're, they're running around. They must be doing validation or something. I don't know exactly what, but... Um, it actually was very striking on the road. I saw it drive down and I was like, you know, it, it's not exactly my cup of tea. I think it's, it's, I think it's pretty darn ugly personally. Um, but it's different and it's, yeah. it's going to have this like cool vibe to it, uh, amongst, a you know, a sizable percentage of the population as many people absolutely yeah. loathe it are going to love it. And then there's other people who are going to be like, oh, I don't really care. It's, you know, whatever. Um, anyway, so I'm not bagging on its design. It is what it is. It's not my favorite. Some people love it. I'm talking about just how poorly constructed and screwed together yes. it was. 
Yeah. And then we get to the off-roading thing. I, that That's not a concern to me at this point. Um, I have to assume they're taking it off-road and testing it in, yeah. you know, they're probably finalizing software design. You know, it's it's like they have to ramp up the the proper torque to, to the motors. They probably, you know, they probably have tons of sensors on the thing that that are checking for wheel slip. And, you know, I'm not so concerned about the ones and zeros at this point. It, there's no reason that the vehicle should be terrible off-road. It's, you know, that you put the right tires on it, you make sure the air suspension's way up and you calibrate the software to give you traction. You know, it's not exactly rocket science. And I have to assume that's probably what they're doing. They're probably taking it on these off-road trails in an effort to dial in all of their calibrations. Also, not every driver is good at driving off-road. That's true. Yeah, that may not be the smoking gun that some people are making it out to be. Exactly. I'm not super concerned about that. I figure they'll get that worked out. And I also doubt, you know, I, I doubt a sizable percentage of Cybertruck owners are going to be driving them on, you know, crazy off-road trails anyway. These aren't Wranglers. They're, you know, they're electric pickup trucks and they're, they're a statement as much as they are, you know, a vehicle. I am extremely concerned about the build quality. Um, you know, it's been a long, I hate to kick Tesla over it, you know, over and over and over again. It's like beating a dead horse. Um, but they're, they've had build, build quality problems on every launch that they've had and leading up to, you know, being this close to, um, production launch. I think it's supposed to be this month, Greg, that they're, they're doing initial, um, handoffs. It is so bad. Yeah. Like. If this is indicative of what's actually coming off the line, they have big trouble. Yeah, I saw Tesla, I think it was Model S torn apart uh, a few years ago at a like a sort of a local uh, analytics intelligence supplier type company in Metro Detroit. And I remember their take was, you know, this is what they do is rip apart cars and mm-hmm. try to figure out the strengths and weaknesses. And they were like, the EV you know, propulsion system is like, you know, it's an iPhone. It's like just, mm-hmm. it's, it was so far ahead of what everybody had. This is before we really knew much about Ultium at, the, at that point, but they were like, we just don't get what they're doing here. Like the fit and finish was, you know, poor. They were yeah. like, this is like eighties level of stuff. And he's like, mm-hmm. there was no reason for it to be that way. Yeah. Um, you can hire somebody to do it that way, you know, like hire a whole manufacturing team like quality people and it wasn't um you know the way they kind of um explained it this was monroe i should say they were you know you probably remember we covered it a little Mm bit um you know they're like this is fixable you know and every car isn't terrible but it's just the one they got ripped apart they're like this is kind of subpar Mm -hmm. so it's kind of a good segue to our long-term segment and why don't we just leave right off with your tesla model three yeah, I, I said that's that's an issue that I was concerned about when I placed the order for a Tesla Model yeah. Three. Um, I was super because I've seen several early Model Threes. I have some friends who have them, and the build quality was not great. Um, one of them on the inside, a lot of like the interior panels were, um, you know, not screwed together the way that you expect it to be screwed together. Um, another one I saw the the trunk was like shifted way over to one side, and the tail light didn't line up. Um, I was very concerned about that when I placed my order, but I can tell you that between 2018 
2023 because my friend has a 2018 model. Um, between those dates, they have fixed the issues. If my personal model three is, um, is, you know, anything to go by, I spent a good long time before I accepted delivery of the car going through, you know, the, the body lineups, going through the interior. I popped all the trunks. I checked all the moldings. I checked all the weather stripping. You know, I didn't, I didn't take delivery of the vehicle until I did a very thorough walk around and I had zero yeah. issues, zero, okay. absolutely none. Um, and you know, that not to, not to go back to Cybertruck, but that's, we're talking about a, a car company, you know, some people say, well, like, yeah, it's hard to build cars. Like, oh, this is a startup car company. No, it's not, not anymore. This is the most valuable car company in the world. Yeah. <laughs> like here, here in, 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 you know, so that yeah. is, is unacceptable. It's unacceptable that I had to be so concerned about it when I was taking my model three, because it's a well-known yeah. issue. It'll be unacceptable if the cyber trucks are screwed together poorly when they do the deliveries. However, back to the car. It has been absolutely perfect, just absolutely flawless. Um, the ownership experience has been perfect. Um, the literally the one thing that kept me from driving the car is my wife drove her, uh, accidentally drove over a uh, screw. Um, so I had to extract a screw from the tire and uh, that is not the car's fault. Um, literally everything has been flawless. Um, and it's great to drive. I, I really enjoy driving it. I've taken a lot of um, friends along uh, for rides. Um, we've driven it from Columbus to um, upper Michigan and back several times now, relying on Tesla supercharger network, flawless experience. Um, I would recommend a Model 3 to anyone who is you know, aware of the, um, of the charging infrastructure, um, the, you know, the goods, the positive, the negative, um, just absolutely perfect vehicle for, for my family. Um, super happy with the uh, decision to, to bring it home. Now I'm curious, would you feel confident sort of recommending this to just say your neighbor, your, you know, your cousin who is asking you, do you feel like you as an industry expert were able to like, you know, discern that you had a good quality vehicle and feel good about it. Mm -hmm. uh, or you feel like you got lucky. Like, I'm just curious because I would consider buying a Tesla. Uh, there's some major hangups I would have based on some of the quality issues and some yep. of, you know, the things Elon Musk has said and done, yep. but just on a pure product perspective, range is good. They're attractive cars. I mean, I don't know. I mean, is it two scattershots still? Uh, I, you know I what? Know. I, I wouldn't, this is, this is difficult. That's, that's actually a super difficult question. Um, yeah. I would recommend it. I would absolutely okay. recommend it, but not without caveats. Um, mm -hmm. I would, I would explain, you know, well, here's, here's, cause not, I, I think people are, it's still early days in EV ownership for most people. People might not know the benefits and drawbacks of electric vehicle ownership. So I want, you know, if I talk to a, a, uh, Uber driver who's taking me to the airport, um, and he hopped in his, um, brother's model three and drove from New York to Columbus. Um, he was using his Apple iPhone for navigation. He was doing all these things and he drove it like a normal car, um, like a gas powered car. When the range got to like 10%, he's like, Oh, better stop and fill up without knowing that the right way to do that is to use the Tesla, Tesla navigation system 
and for it to plot your route for you and to tell you where to stop, how long to charge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He tried to drive it like it was a normal car. And he was like, I'll never do that again. I hated that. It was the worst driving experience of my life. He has a tarnished experience with a good car because he didn't know the proper way to use it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't try to explain all that to him because he was, you know, very irritated at the entire experience. So I was just like, well, I'm sorry you had such a bad experience. Um, but the issue, he wouldn't have had that problem if he would have, you know, typed and not use his iPhone, you know, for navigation. If he would have known that the car will tell him where and when to stop, how long to charge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he would have had a much different experience. So that tells me not everyone is, is ready for this, like sea change of, of driving evolution. Um, so would I recommend it? Absolutely. Um, but not without not without making sure that the person understood what they were, you know, signing up for. Okay. All right. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I mean, that's, that's fair. I, um, you know, I remember when you were considering, you know, different cars mm -hmm. and, you know, that you, you went through a lot, if you will, to try yeah. to figure out what would be the right move. Well, I did, you know, a little more background than people need to know. I, I looked at everything other than a Tesla. Um, okay. you know, I, now that I own one, though, my fears of poor quality and, um, you know, an unhappy ownership experience completely, it was a little bit of fear of the unknown. I've never, I've never ordered a car online before um, okay. and gotten a date to come pick it up. You know, like I've, I've ordered, I've ordered cars brand new before and watched the ship, but you still, you, you know, you go to a traditional dealership you drive the car and then, you know, you pick the one that you want. The Tesla is, it's, it's a very different thing. I went there, you know, I, they had one model three demo and it was a, a performance model, not the one that I was looking at. I was looking at the standard. Um, I couldn't even drive it. I, a, a standard one before I put the order in. So, you know, I was, I was nervous about it. I didn't like the, the like the entire idea of it. I'm maybe a little bit more of a traditionalist, but um, I've been rewarded with a, a flawless ownership experience about what, eight months in now, something like that. So actually super pleased with it. Um, you could say literally couldn't be happier with it. It's, it's just been, it's, it's been perfect. Nice. Nice. Okay. All right. So I guess we can update uh, something in my long-term fleet. Uh, some of you guys might know that uh, my brother and I are working on a 1973 Chevelle. Uh, we have sort of a, a car builder, if you will, who's really doing all of the work for that matter. Um, and the project is is moving along. It's uh, It was originally like a family car, if you will. Uh, we sort of inherited it from my parents and two sort of updates. If we were doing this like a long-term post, like from our regular auto blog, long-term cars, we have a new donor car. And the donor car is essentially the car, I would say. We are, uh, we got like a rolling chassis, intact body and interior. And the original 73, we're going to pull like the motor, which I think is significant. The 350 is going to get on there with like, you know, new cams, new headers. We're going to try to get the horsepower up to uh, north of 300 because originally the 350 V8 was, I think it was either 145 or 175, depending on the number of carbs the car had. That would have been super uh, low compression engine. Indeed. Um, yeah. There's a lot more you can do with it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's like the new one. I'm, I'm pretty psyched, I think. 
Um, you know, when you talk about restoration projects, you know, how much of the original car survives and how much is really more like an amalgamation of other mm -hmm. cars. Mm -hmm. In this case, you know, technically this recent thing that we acquired will be sort of the survivor, but I think the mix of parts is going to be about the same because we're going to use some interior pieces like the IP, the motor again, which is a big deal and some of the fenders. So, you know, sort of the original 73, like, yeah, the, it was rusted in some pretty critical parts like the, uh, I guess it's the A, B, C pillar, uh, you know, because these were the colonnade years, yeah. uh, things that would have made it just more cost prohibitive to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so I feel pretty good about where the project's going. And then just sort of breaking news, if you will, we acquired a Laguna clip. So the original car was a Malibu and uh, this new thing we new car we acquired does have the Laguna bucket seats, which are quite rare uh, at this point and actually add considerable sort of value to the project. So we're going to use those. And then the Laguna clip, um, I think it looks sweet. You know, if you're into like, you know, 1970s muscle cars, I use that term a little loosely, uh, they started to look a little more awkward as the 70s rolled on with those big five mile an hour bumpers on a lot of the cars. Uh, this cleans it right up. It looks, in a way, it's like a throwback. It looks kind of sleeker. Um, so that was cool. We went over to this guy's house on Sunday morning and um, grabbed it. My brother threw it in the back of his SUV, and uh, away we went. In you want to explain to the, the readers who maybe don't know what you mean by clip? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so for most Chevelles of the 1973 to like 76 model years, they just had a standard front end, grill, headlights, and large bumper. The Laguna for 73 and 74 specifically, and then the Laguna could, could, continued, but the clip looked a bit different. It's essentially like a, I don't know if it's polyurethane or plastic or rubber. It's like a rubber-like material. Mm -hmm. It covers the front end of the car um, like a clip, like almost like a race car. And it sort of lightly covers the bumper and creates some accentuation around the headlight and grill to make it a more like complete, sportier look. Yeah. Um, and it's a piece of the car. It's not like, like some vinyl Tesla Cybertruck wrap. It's like another front end is yeah. what it is. It's exactly, like, yeah. It's sort of like you would pay for an optional different appearance for the Laguna trim would be a better way to put it. Yep. And you can buy these clips if you're 50 years later trying to change the look of your car. Yeah. So, so, so basically, so basically the car that, that you, that you bought had the, the regular front clip. And by that, we mean the everything front in front of the fender. So yeah. headlights, grill, bumper, um, you know, any front spoiler, that kind of thing is what we're referring to. You, you're going to have your uh, guy pull off the original, replace it with the more streamlined, better looking Laguna. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. So that's the update. I was a little torn to be honest, because I kind of like, you know, it's the car. I remember growing up with the big bumper and mm -hmm. such. Um, but you know, it's, it's a little bit different. Taking it is things better in a different looking direction. with the Laguna. Clip yeah. Yeah. I think most people think that. And, um, it adds to a little bit to the value. I'm seeing one on Hemmings here for about 25 grand. Um, nice. 
It's not bad. And so uh, your car was an originally a 350 two barrel? Uh, I believe it was a two barrel, yeah. yeah. So they're going to, um, when you do the rebuild, you're going to put new heads on it, uh, higher compression, probably a uh, aftermarket, you know, maybe an Edelbrock aluminum manifold. Are you going to go carbureted or are you going to go fuel injected? Uh, it's still up for debate. Yeah. Probably carbureted, but okay. we'll see. More classic. Yeah. 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 Holly, you know, Holly, Edelbrock, a lot of those companies are making really nice fuel injection kits um, that... You know, I've actually looked into them. That the other vehicle in my in my current driveway is a 1993 uh, GMC Suburban with a yeah. a 454 uh, throttle body engine. They switched mm -hmm. to a tune port um, injection system. I think a tune port injection system a little bit later, but I've got the old TBI throttle body. Um, is reliable as dirt. I mean, it's it's got like, you know, I don't know, like you less processing power than like a Game Boy. Um, so. I've already replaced the computer in the thing. Um, it took like a couple hundred miles and it, you know, relearned everything and it was, you know, as solid as can be. Um, I've thought, you know, if this is something that I'm going to keep for a really long time, which is also up for debate, I'd you normally go through cars pretty quickly. Um, if I were to keep it for a long time, popping off that old uh, throttle body um, injection system and replacing it with a more, um, uh, more modern, um, much more electronically intelligent uh, fuel injection system from, you know, Holly or, or who have, you know, what have you, um, will drastically improve my efficiency. Um, and when I say drastically, like I, I get like 13 miles per gallon out of the stupid thing. Um, wow. So yeah, it's, it's terrible. Um, it, I, I say stupid thing with, you know, in, in the, in the most pleasant way possible. I don't call it stupid because I dislike it. You know, I call it stupid because it's kind of dumb to drive a 93 big block suburban around um, yeah. when it's when it's not necessary. But that's why we have the Tesla and that's what we typically drive. Our suburban is for, um, you know, camping and hauling and, you know, et cetera, towing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it actually doesn't get driven that much. So if I were driving it all the time, it'd probably be worth it to uh, make that upgrade um being that it doesn't get driven that much like maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't make sense maybe it doesn't matter and again i don't i'd like to have i'd like to have a real honest to god pickup truck um because the suburban spends a lot of time hauling things in the back i haven't had the third seat in it since basically like the third month i've had it um and it's i've had it for a few years now um, so it spends a lot of time hauling. A pickup truck would be better for that. Um, but when I do need to put the third row in, I, you know, I can seat eight human adults and still have room for luggage in the back. Um, that's nice too. So I don't know. I don't know what the future of the Korzenewski non-electric vehicle uh, driveway will look like. But um, right now, right now, and at least for the winter, it'll still be suburban. It's a nice thing to drive around in the winter, a little bit nostalgic. Like I can remember like going camping and like mm -hmm. scout trips and like, you know, people's parents, suburbans of this vintage. Yeah. A little bit older, a little bit newer. Um, in the nineties are kind of cool again. So there's yeah. that. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty unstoppable in the winter. I mean, it's a legit four by four with a transfer, yeah. you know, two speed transfer case, four um, L80E transmission transmission, which are basically unkillable. Um, it's a sturdy, sturdy truck, uh, eight lug wheels. Um, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not bad. You know, it's, 
it's a really useful vehicle to have around. Um, it just stinks that it's so inefficient. Yeah. I have, as I was going through some specs of the 73 Chevelle, you want to take a guess at the fuel economy for that year? Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. It's better than you might think, but I don't even know. Well, yeah. This is this was pre, you know, EPA standardized, like, yeah. you know, like what we consider modern fuel economy tests. They they often rated rated cars with V8 engines and two barrels for like just unbelievably good highway economy mm -hmm. that they never ever would get in the real world. Yeah. What they rate? I'm I'm going to say 15 city 22 highway. So I'm seeing uh, 13 combined is what 13 I'm seeing. 13 combined. Oh, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. That's for the that's 352 bad. barrel? Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. 350 V8 with the turbo fire manual three-speed. Uh, is that what you guys have? Is it a manual? E no, it's not. It's an automatic. Three-speed so auto, yeah. This okay. is just a very dense... Uh, Probably a turbo 350 automatic. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. There it is, the hydromatic. And that gets you to... Oh, it actually gets worse. Worse. 12.5. That's bad. Oh my, that's bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and you can tell apparently by the two barrel uh, versus single barrel is apparently it has to do with the, the number of exhaust pipes. So that's sort of a tell. Mm. Uh, but it does have 220 uh, pound feet of torque at a pretty yeah, low they, RPM. So that's not nothing. Yeah, they, they pull a stump out of the ground for you if you, uh, if you need it to. Just put it in first gear and let off the brake and see what happens. All right. Well, I didn't do that in the Prius Prime, but we can close things out uh, pretty far into this with our review section on the Toyota Prius Prime. Drove it last week. Um, pretty nice. It was in the XSE Premium trim. Uh, total price was $42,510, including destination. Um, it was, again, it was pretty loaded up. It had the optional solar uh, charging roof on it. That was kind of cool. Digital rear view mirror, uh, pretty nice interior, 19-inch wheels, uh, the 7-inch multi-information screen, the Toyota audio setup, um, 4G, you know. But the big story here really is you can get up to 40 miles of electric range in addition to, um, you know, just the fact that it's a pretty efficient hybrid. Um, the overall range... Uh, Let's see, I don't have that in front of me. I, I did a minute ago. They call it 114 miles per gallon E. That's the MPGE rating, if you will. Um, so it's very fuel efficient. Didn't even think about filling it up. It's my first time in the new Prius. Um, it's up for North American Car of the Year, so it filtered through my personal fleet. Uh, two big overarching thoughts. One, the Prius is cool again. Uh, I'm not sure it ever was cool, but now it's legitimately attractive. Um, almost like to use kind of a background thread here, Tesla styling. I think it looks good. I think it's a object, uh, like of desire. Like you could be like driving a Prius was always sort of a, a status symbol in some crowds. And I think now you can have that again and also have this very attractive car. So that was part of it. And then the efficiency, I think, showing off the best of both worlds here. The 40 miles of electric range, as well as just a traditional hybrid system, which, you know, the Prius is obviously very good at that. That's what it is. And I think Toyota has been very bullish about saying, hey, there's other things you can do besides going all electric. 
Um, some have criticized them for appearing to drag their feet on that front. But, um, you know, when you look at a car like this, you can see how it's like it's the best of both worlds. And it's also a set it and forget it type of thing. So those are my two big takeaways. Uh, and also you can't see out of the damn thing when you're making a right or a left turn uh, with like something in the way. It's got some pretty severe um a pillars which lead to that kind of sweeping design so yeah uh i was really pleased with it uh i would frankly recommend this car to people who are looking for a good hybrid uh, especially if you want one that you can charge up yourself um i i think the prius lives i was a little skeptical uh frankly that they were going to find a way to make this relevant in an era of just increased electrification but uh toyota did I, I love the way it looks. Um, I have not driven a Prime yet. Um, so what would you say the cost was on it? It was 42. 42, which seems a little high when you think about it. But then the average transaction price, as you know, as we yep. well know, is like 48. So in that context, I don't know. Not, it, not a bad deal. It's not terrible. Here's, here's, the, here's the one potential gotcha. The... I paid less than that for my Tesla Model 3. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to get $7,500 back on mm. my tax credit. Um, so I know that an electric car is not going to work for everybody. And for the people who are not ready to make that full switch, mm -hmm. um, but still do want something um, that will run as an EV um, for you know a solid amount of time, there's 113 miles per gallon E is nothing to sneeze at. And I think that's achievable because I got over hundred miles per gallon out of Chevy volts all the time. Every time I drove one, mm -hmm. um, when you, you know, when you're, when you, you factor in the full electric driving, um, also assuming that you're charging it at home, the majority of the time, like I do in my Tesla, the uh, Prius prime would be the exact same thing. Um, that's very cheap. It's significantly yeah. cheaper than, than pumping it full of gas. So it's a cost savings. Um, it's a, you know, convenience thing because you don't have to stop at gas stations. Um, so yeah, I get it. I, it's, I think it's a great car for someone who's not ready to make the full EV transition. Um, however, I, like it's appeal to me is limited slightly just because at that cost, yeah, you could get a, a legit fully electric car. And, you know, as we've covered ad nauseum in this, uh, um, particular podcast, my ownership experience in the Model 3 has been excellent. So, um, but yeah, you know, I like it. I love the way it looks. Um, I actually look forward to driving one. Um, 220 horsepower, right? Mm -hmm. That's not bad. Uh, car and driver did zero to 60 in 6.7 seconds. 6.7, yeah. Yeah, which is pretty, the for, you know, the Model 3 that I have does 5.3, I think. So it is still quicker. But 6.7 is plenty for all of your daily driving duties. So, you know, Priuses are, are not only attractive now, they're also able of getting out of their own way and merging onto an expressway without, you know, <laughs> without clutching your chest. Yeah. I mean, it's it's quicker than a 73 Chevelle, which was 11 seconds and some change in the 0 to 60, 11.7. So, I hesitate to think what my suburban 0 to 60 is. Yeah, that's like microwave a slice of pizza and yeah. come back and get it. It's zero, yeah. to, 0 to 60 in, sure, <laughs> it will totally, yeah, exactly. it'll totally get there. 
another good number here. I think I, I did not mention this 48 miles per gallon for the gasoline only for the Prius. Um, according to the EPA, that saves you $4,500 in fuel costs over five years compared to the average new vehicle. Uh, it is obviously the car is built in Japan as all Priuses are. So you don't get that $7,500 tax credit. And really you wouldn't anyway, as this is a hybrid, I think uh, you might get some based on the electric yeah, I think, range. Well, they, they did away with that, didn't they? With the, the latest round, it either qualifies or doesn't qualify, right? You either get, you get 3750 for it's it's either 3750 or 7500 but it's no longer dependent on range is it it's 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 solely dependent on the manufacturer um where it's built and where the battery materials come from right oh right okay yeah so, wow actually it's it's changing yeah. yeah so i think like even things like the ford mach e like they they get 3750 um, because the final assembly is in America, but too much of the battery components come from China. Uh, yeah. So the, the Prius wouldn't qualify. It's got the plug. I don't think they care what the size of the battery pack is anymore. Maybe there's fine print on that that I'm not remembering. So don't take this as gospel. But um, the last time I looked at the list, it was either yes or no in two categories, whether it qualified. The Prius wouldn't because it's made in Japan. Yeah, um, I don't know where its battery components come from, but that actually is that doesn't matter because the final assembly is not in America, which is the first checkbox. So it's more of a pass fail thing now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, in this case, it's a fail. Yeah, there you go. Not the car, just right. whether it qualifies. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just it's it's interesting because I have some neighbors who like to look at my whatever's in front of my house on any given day. And, you know, many of whom are like. I'm thinking of an electric car, but then they get like nervous about the infrastructure and, you know, they start to kind of say, well, maybe what about a hybrid? And I feel like this is something that could work for, you know, a number of people with that mindset. So it's, it's interesting. I saw a study this morning from S and P saying um, like receptiveness to EVs has dropped. It was something mm -hmm. like 67% and two years ago, it was like 86% or something. So I, so, I find that interesting. I do too. And I wonder, is it receptiveness to EVs or is it receptiveness to the EV charging infrastructure? Because, you know, we had that, we had a Kia EV6 in fully electric vehicle and uh, we had it for a year. We had to rely on, um, you know, EVgo and mm -hmm. what's, what's the other big one? Electrify America. Is that what Electrify it is? Electrify America. Yeah. We had, a, there's an EVgo station near me and I had a pretty solid experience with it. Um, but I stopped at a, a Tesla supercharging station in a city in Michigan that I can't even remember which one it was when I was driving up to the, um, to, to the Traverse city area in my Tesla, they had right next to the Tesla superchargers. They had, um, uh, an Electrify America set up and I saw people getting out and talking to each other and saying like, well, this charge is working really good and charging really well right now. I had this guy in a lightning had to wait um, because the one that he plugged into wasn't working at all. And he had to wait for another person to pull out and they were like talking like, oh, just give me, you know, just, I, I want to get 10 more miles before they go. And they're like, you know, handshaking to, to see who's going to get the uh, charger that's working next. Mm -hmm. So I get why people would be hesitant if that's the experience they're hearing from EV owners. Um, and, and I have to say that's where Tesla's got the, the magic bullet, um, mm -hmm. is in the supercharging, uh, network. And I totally understand 
why car companies are like one after the other announcing, yep, we're going to change to the Tesla charging standard because, you know, it's not working. You know, what, 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 what the big companies that are setting up chargers are doing right now is, is laughably bad. Whereas what Tesla's done with the supercharger network is it's just, it just works. You know, like you, you mentioned iPhones earlier, the supercharger network is like the iPhone of, of EV chargers. You plug it in, it goes, you don't think about it. Um, and, and they need to get there. They, they need to be, you know, EV chargers need to be as reliable as gas stations before a sizable por uh, um, portion of the population will consider it. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, it's been a pretty good log show. Um, it's about to snow here in Michigan. It's really? Like 30, yeah, it's it's cold. It is 38 degrees. It's raining, but it seems like it's trying to tip into snow. So yeah. that's kind of where we are here in November. That's funny. We're, you know, we're three hours, not even, we're like two hours, three hours, yeah. something like that, south of you. And it is going to be in the 60s today. That's interesting. I wonder if we'll get that tomorrow. It hasn't been all that cold the last few yeah, few days. So. It was 66 degrees here yesterday. I took a nice wow. walk and we we ate dinner outside. Wow. You are three hours away, but a world away as far as uh, temperatures, I guess. Yeah. That's not usually how it rolls. But uh, the, 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 the line must be running through Toledo or something right now. Yeah, that cold front. Mm -hmm. Anywho. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks right. for thanks for sticking around, listeners, and and hear us talk about the uh, weather from a couple of days ago where you don't live. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> so we should probably knock this off, right? Let's Head do it. Out. Let's do it. All right. Hey, if you enjoy the show, please give us five stars at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get the show. Uh, send us your spend my monies. If you'd rather hear us spend your money than talk about the weather, it's podcast at autoblog.com. Be safe out there, and we will see you next week. All right.